Daniel lived, we said, in a very wicked time. He lived uh, uh, under the rule of Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. Um, the prophet Jeremiah, we're gonna read a little bit later about Jeremiah's prophecy over Israel. Jeremiah said, basically, you're gonna go into exile as a nation. The nation of Judah is gonna go into exile. And when you go, go ahead and put down roots, have a family, do business, do what you're gonna do, live your life. You're gonna be there for 70 years and then God's gonna deliver you. And so that is what they did. And, and what, you, what we need to take away, I think, from Daniel, there's a lot of prophecies that come out of Daniel, a lot of end times prophecies. Really, until they come true, you don't know exactly how that prophecy, have, has anybody ever told you, you're, you're gonna go and see this thing, it's just gonna be amazing. You're just gonna be amazing. And you get there thinking, well, you know, I've seen amazing before. I, I told my sister-in-law one time, they were gonna go to this church in Chicago, and I said, you're gonna drive up, and you're gonna be blown away. And she's like, come on, it's a church. I'm like, no, 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 you don't understand. It's not a church. You're gonna drive up, and you're gonna see what appears to be an industrial park. And then when you get there, and you realize that this industrial park is 100 and some odd acres, and it's all church. And she's like, come on. Like I'm telling you, you're gonna walk into one auditorium's 5,000 people, there are other auditorium's 8,000 people. And she's like, whatever, I've seen big before. Okay, she comes back and she's like, wow, was that place amazing? It was huge, it was crazy. I've never been to a 5,000 seat auditorium, let alone 8,000, that's crazy. Sometimes, I don't quite understand it, but sometimes that's what God's word does to us. It's like you read it, and you read it, and you read it, and you go, that's kind of cool. And then all of a sudden, you get in that time, you get in that atmosphere where that's happening around you, and you're going, wait a minute, wait a minute. You get, we'd call that a revelation. Anybody ever had a revelation of scripture? You've had something where you've read it, you read it, and you read it, and all of a sudden you read it one day and it just like jumps off the page and smacks you alongside the head and you're going, how come I never saw that before? I know I read it, I have it underlined. I must have read it before. I think as we go through time here, folks, I think as we go through these next days and weeks and months and years, you're gonna begin to see that more and more as you read God's word. I would encourage you Keep reading, keep reading, keep reading. You're gonna read through passages you've read a hundred times before, and all of a sudden you're gonna go, man alive, that makes sense. So look at, we're gonna look at, uh, at the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah talks about the judgment that's gonna take place for Israel into Babylon. Let's just read Jeremiah 29, um, starting in verse one. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and the priests and the prophets and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jehoiakim and the queen mother, the court officials, the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the skilled workers, the artisans had gone into exile from Jerusalem. They were carried off into exile. Now there had been many times when, when Babylon had risen up against Judah and there were little tiffs and things that went on and, and they'd take some people captive. And, but here the, the nation, basically all the, the, the leaders, they'd taken most of them into captivity. So he entrusted the letter to Elash, son of Saphan, uh, and to... Gemara, son of, you know, 
whom Zedekiah's king of Judah sent to King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon, and it said, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to those carried off into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Those of you who are in exile, this is what God is saying to you. Build houses, settle down, plant gardens, eat what those gardens produce, marry, have sons and daughters, find wives for your son, give your daughters in marriage, so that they too may have sons and daughters, increase in numbers, and do not decrease God is saying, listen, you're going into exile. You're going to be there for a period of time. Go ahead and live your life. Continue to serve me. Live your life. Also seek peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Did you hear that? God carried the children of Israel into exile. God put them under the reign of Babylon. God put them under the rule of Babylon. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. God says you're going into this wicked nation But when you go into that wicked nation, I want you to pray for it. I want you to live your lives. I want you to move through time like you've got your freedom. So pray for it, for it to, to peace, for peace, for it to prosper. Because as it prospers, you'll prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and the diviners among you deceive you. Hang on to that for a second. Do not let the dreams you uh, do not let the dreams you encourage them to have. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. In other words, part of what's going on is I know that Johnny's a prophet, and so I'm going to go to Johnny as a prophet and say, "Please tell me all the good things that God's going to do while we're in this terrible place." Chris, please have a dream that God's going to deliver us and he's going to set us free. Please, I need you to have that dream and then come back and, and tell all the people about the dream. They're, they're, they're begging these quote-unquote prophets to prophesy good. When God says, in reality, I'm taking you through this place, I'm taking you through this time, I'm placing you into exile, you're going into Babylon, you're going to be there for 70 years and then I'm going to set you free. God is not pulling any punches with Israel. You know what it means to pull a punch? You get in a fight in your boxing match, and you pull a punch. You, when you really nail somebody, that's really hitting. If you pull the punch, you kind of hold back just a little bit. You know, it's when you're, you're horsing around with somebody and you, you act like you're really going to hit him. You go, ah. hey, how's it going? That's pulling a punch. God's not pulling a punch. He's not pulling his punches with Israel. He's letting him know this is what's going on. Deal with it. And don't try and get somebody to prophesy good for you. When I'm telling you what's going to happen. We've seen that before. You see that in Scripture. So God's not pulling any punches with Israel. He's telling Daniel and his friends in the nation that there's judgment coming. Why is there judgment for Israel? Aren't they God's chosen people? They're God's chosen people. But the judgment is there because of disobedience. The judgment is there because they didn't follow after God. And so the nation is under judgment. Daniel thrives. Some of the other individuals, they thrive, but the nation is under judgment. So I have to think a little bit about us today. 
What about the place where we're at as a nation? When you look at the things that are going on, and again, we'll talk about that in just a little bit. When you look at the things that are going on in the nation around us, you have to say, God, where are you at? What's happening? Jeremiah 29, verse 10. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place for I know you know how many times we quote this we take this passage out of scripture for I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord the plans for prosper and to not harm you the plans for you to have hope and a future we don't usually think of that passage of scripture in the midst of captivity right I know the plans I have for you, the plans to prosper you and to bring you peace. I know we, we'll write that on, on church cards, but we don't write that ever on a card and show somebody in prison, right? But God says, I know the plans, even through the difficulty, even through the struggle, even through your own Babylon, even as the nation is falling apart, even as the nation is going into captivity, I know the plans that I have for you. Keep praying for your leaders. Keep praying for this nation. Keep praying for peace. Keep praying for prosperity. I have plans for you in the midst of this dark time. Are we ready to believe that? Like I said, we'll put it on a card, but are we ready to believe that? Then he says in verse 12, then you will call on me and I will come. And you will pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me when you will seek, and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back from captivity. God is sending them into captivity. And now he says, you're going to be there for a period of time. And if you continue to seek me, if you will search me, you earnestly seek me, I'll bring you back. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. Now this might mess with your theology just a little bit. If you're used to uh, reading scriptures that you just like to believe, you know these are all good prosperity type scriptures, I just like to believe these ones, I don't want to read anything else, this will kind of mess with our theology. The Babylonian captivity or exile refers to a period of time in Israel's history when the Jews were taken captive by King Nebuchadnezzar II. And it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a hugely important time in biblical history because of the captivity, but also because of the return and all of the prophecies that were fulfilled. God used Babylon, God used Babylon as his agent of judgment against Israel for their sins. There was idolatry, rebellion, wickedness against God. And this actually, again, this happened several different times. But God uses Babylon. See, one of the things that we see in the Old Testament over and over and over again is that God judges a nation. He judges the nation. It's not like there's this personal judgment that happens on a monthly basis where God sits there and says, all right, it's time to bring Jim before me and I'm gonna judge Jim. And then it's Colin's turn and I'm gonna judge him. And then Scott and Marlis and Chris and Missy. There's not, there's, God judges the nation because of their wickedness. He encourages people to live godly lives among that because they'll prosper in the midst of it, but God judges the nation. 
right? Over and over again, you see it in Scripture. And God uses Babylon as his agent, if you will, of judgment. Now look, I don't, I want to be clear here this morning. I don't want to declare to you that I'm prophesying. I don't want to, all I'm doing is trying to read what I think Scripture is saying, what I believe God's putting on my heart. I believe as a nation, if we are not in that phase of judgment, we're knocking on the door. Because we have been a godless and a wicked nation. Folks, we're not walking after God. Most, I'm gonna say it, okay? Most churches, many churches, are not walking after God. We come to church, we do our hour, we go home, and that's, 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 that's all God requires of me. And that's baloney. We, we don't get to just walk around and do evil and do wickedness. Yeah, you know, pastor, I'm not really a wicked person. Well, let's, let's compare ourselves to Jesus for a minute. Paul called himself the chief of all sinners because he was finally looking at his life not based on what he did or who he was, but based on Jesus Christ. And here's the deal. Sitting here in little old Detroit Lakes where we can go fishing any old time we want to, and we can hop on a motorcycle, and we can do this, and we can all gather together. We don't see a lot of it. We're not really feeling a lot of it. But I'm telling you, we're beginning to see things in our nation that are absolutely crazy. If it's not, if it's not the hand of God, I don't know what it is. In my daily reading, my devotions, I've been stuck going back to Romans chapter 1. Going, I just can't quite get out of Romans chapter 1. I say going back because our men's group is going through Romans. And we're not doing it very quickly, I might add. I think we are six weeks in Romans and we got through chapter 3. And I think we've been through chapter 3 twice, three times. Ben was there this past week and, and Ben Griesen, and I said, we're in Romans chapter 3, and he starts to laugh. He said, I haven't been here for three weeks. We're in Romans chapter 3 when I left. Well, we keep getting stuck there. And I don't normally touch on a lot of political stuff because to me it's almost from the pulpit. It's almost a no-win situation. But this morning as we look at this, I have to tell you that there's stuff that's going on around us that we just have to look at. We can't just pretend that it's life as normal. The whole 2020 is just life as normal. Because it's not normal. What we're seeing is not normal. I, some of the stuff that, that I, we're going to talk about this morning seems like right-wing conspiracy, seems like kind of off-the-wall stuff. But if you look at the chaos that we're going through right now as a nation, you have to understand it's not just happenstance. The first time I heard the word Antifa was just a couple of months ago. And the first thing I thought when I listened to the guy talk about Antifa was this is some kind of right-wing conspiracy. It's probably not even true. And then I started looking and looking and researching, and it turns out Antifa really is true. It really is something that's out there. It has its own Wikipedia page, as a matter of fact. Of course, if you sneeze twice, you're going to get your own Wikipedia page you know, nowadays. But Antifa is an anti-fascist political movement in the United States. I'm just going to read some of this. Comprising of a diverse array of autonomous groups that aim to achieve their objective 
through the use of nonviolent and violent actions rather than political or policy reform. They don't care how they get their point across. They are an anti-fascist group. Um, we'll, read, we'll get into that just a little bit more. So they are political activists and they engage in protests and tactics such as digital activism and militancy, sometimes involving property damage, physical violence, and harassment against fascists and racists and those on the far right. You know, like Fargo and Minneapolis. Fargo and Minneapolis are not exactly far right. But the, the terror that took place, the terrorism that took place, is birthed out of groups like this. It involves, uh, individuals involved in this movement tend to hold, listen to this, tend to hold to anti-authoritarianism as well as anti-capitalist views, subscribing to all kinds of left-wing ideologies, anarchism, communism, Marxism, socialism, and social democracy. Both the name Antifa and the logo with the flags representing anarchism and communism are derived from the German Antifa movement back in the 20s. Now, I must have missed this when I was in ninth grade social. I either skipped that day or more likely was stoned. So I missed it. That's how I spent most of my ninth grade. But this is a movement out of the 20s. It's been around for that long. And they are about anti-authoritarianism. They say that their groups are against fascism. Fascism is a form of right-wing authoritarianism. It's called, they call it ultra-nationalism. It's characterized by a dictator, a forcible suppression, as well as strong regimentation of society. So fascism says, this is the way it's going to be done. You're going to do it my way, nothing else. And Antifa is saying, we rebel against that. They're not against rules. They're against rulers. And they will oppose them peacefully or non-peacefully. It doesn't make any difference. Folks, some of what we're seeing in our nation is groups like this rising up with a, a, a bent to destroy authority. So anti-fascism or Antifa groups have been around for a long time. And like I said, their flags represent, their flag, their flag, their logo has two flags on it and their flags represent anarchism. You know what anarchism is? Anarchism is without law. It's lawlessness. The Bible talks about the man of lawlessness, right? Talks about the man of perdition needing to be revealed. That's the antichrist. That's the spirit. Jesus said the spirit of antichrist is around you even now. There's an antichrist spirit around us, something that wants to point us away from God. This stuff is not made up. This stuff is not right-wing conspiracy, and this stuff is not likely to go away. 
I was actually doing some research the other night on Antifa, and I found a hotline number that I could call in case I wanted to schedule a rally. Well, let me get right on that. Anarchism, actually, anarchism is not, and Antifa, they, they claim that they are not lawlessness. Rather, it's a state of disorder due to the absence of recognized authority. They don't want to recognize the authority that's there. How many of you know God puts authority in place according to Romans chapter 13? He said, you don't need to be afraid of the police officer if you're not doing anything wrong. I use them as ministers of judgment. That's what Romans chapter 13 says. These guys are saying, we don't want anybody over us. We want to run our own, we want to rule our own roost. How many of you know in the Old Testament, Moses was the leader, and then Moses transferred his authority to Joshua, and then Joshua died, and there was no authority. There was nobody in charge. The Bible says men did what they, what they, what they felt in their own heart was right. How often does that work well for you? How often does I really, really like that. Benny, I really like that. Slinky. I'm going to take that. Thanks. It's mine. I, I kind of like your mom's purse, too. I think I'm going to take that, too. Well, wait, but I want it. I uh, but I want it. It feels good to me. I want it. I think it'll go well with my jacket. She took the slinky back for him, too. How well does that work in life when it comes to property? I kind of like your property out there. I've been there. That's a nice place. I think you should let me move in on the, on the you know, 10 acres, the back half, next to the lake. What do you think about that? You'd let me. No. <laughs> but I do not want the horses. They got to go. <laughs> it seems silly, okay? We kind of laugh about it. We kind of joke about it. But anytime there's a lack of order, anytime there's a lack of rule, leadership, there's chaos. And that's exactly what we're seeing. And here's the deal, folks. It's... it's <laughs> It's not like it's unplanned. It not, it's not like it's random. I began to look at this Antifa, and according to what you read, what you read online, there are, and I know Google doesn't mean it's biblical or that it's the absolute be-all and end-all, but there are these hotbeds for Antifa all around our country, and we would expect them in some places, like Chicago and New York and San Francisco and even Denver. But did you know that the, the Antifa group in Minneapolis, Minnesota, has gone unchallenged for decades? Go ahead and do your thing. You want to protest? Go ahead and do your thing. Go ahead and do your thing. Do your thing. Do your thing. It's gone unchallenged. Anarchism, again, is not lawlessness. It's an absence of recognized authority. It's a cluster of doctrines and attitudes and, and uh, beliefs that are centered on, a, on, on, they believe that the government is, is harmful. Anarchism is actually from a Greek word which means without rulers. Not without rules, because they'll set up all their own rules, but without rulers. You say, Pastor, I didn't really come to church to get a lesson on government and anarchism. Daniel lived in a wicked time. We live in a wicked time. You and I are not seeing it in Detroit Lakes, but they're 
taken down statues. I, from what I read the other day, there was a, a statue of Christopher Columbus that was beheaded out east. They've taken down statues of Winston Churchill. I don't know if you've heard this, but there's actually a petition now because the pyramids were made with slave labor that they want the pyramids disassembled. We now have a place called CHAZ. You've heard of CHAZ. CHAZ stands for Capitol Hill of Autonomous, Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone. It's a group of activists who've taken over a six square block chunk of Seattle. And in the middle of this, six square blocks is actually a police station. And the police were ordered to board up all the windows and abandon it and just let them take it. And so in this place that doesn't want authority, they've taken all the police barricades and they've put all the police barricades out and they said, you are now leaving. As you enter this zone, you are now leaving the United States of America and are entering Chaz. That doesn't seem to affect us sitting here in Detroit Lakes on a daily basis, but it's part of our nation, and it's a slap in the face of God, and it's going to affect us as a city. It's going to affect us as a nation. So, Pastor, how does that relate to us? Let's read Romans. Romans chapter 1. Paul says in Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 1, this is a letter from Paul, a slave of Jesus Christ, chosen by God to be an apostle and sent out to preach his good news. God promised this good news long ago through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. The good news is about his son. In his earthly life, he was born into the King David's family line. And he was shown to be the Son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He was proven to be the Son of God. You know how many people get, are on that list of people who were raised from the dead? That's a pretty short list. Not only was he raised from the dead, but he was raised from the dead three days after he was crucified and it's been prophesied thousands and thousands of times. There's right there, he proved who he was. He proved he was the son of God by the power of being risen from the dead. That brings a smile to my face. Because I don't really care about Chaz or what Antifa believes. We have one who is in authority over us. Amen. Matter of fact, he is in authority over all of this. Right? Right? He's the what did the Bible say? He's the king of kings and lord of lords? I'm getting ready to. 
He was shown to be the Son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Through Christ, God has given us the privilege and authority. Paul's talking to his, about his band of brothers, if you will, as apostles to tell the Gentiles everywhere what God has done for them. For who? For the Gentiles, for everyone. So that they will believe and obey him bringing glory to his name, and you are included among those Gentiles who have been called to belong to Jesus Christ. I am writing this to all of you in Rome who are loved by God and who are called to be his own holy people. May God, our Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, and our Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. And then Paul talks in the next several verses about his desire to visit Rome. I've longed to be there. I want to impart this gift to you. And in verse 14, he says, I am obligated. Have you ever been obligated to do something do you know that when you're obligated there's not really an option it's like you're driven by it I remember uh, 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 Annette's dad telling us one time that he was in debt one time one time he borrowed money one time he borrowed money did it for two weeks couldn't sleep until he got that paid back couldn't sleep couldn't sleep had never taken out a loan couldn't sleep couldn't he he had to get that he was obligated to pay that back he was obligated that's a big word Paul says I am obligated both to the Greeks and to the non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. Ever been around some wise and been around some foolish? Pretty easy to pick out the fools. That is why I'm so eager to preach the gospel. Also to you who are in Rome, Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Now, if we don't think about what we're saying, if we just say that and rather, well, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I go to church, by golly, and I'll let you know it. Doesn't bother me at all. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Yeah, I believe in Jesus. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. That's not what Paul's saying. Paul's not saying, go ahead and just take that all lightly. It's okay, you're a Christian. I don't really care what you think of me. That's not what he's saying at all. That is not what he said. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. That's how people get saved is by hearing the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation, the gospel. What's the gospel? What's the good news? What's the good news? Jesus paid for your sin. What What are you doing with all these rallies? All you're doing, you know what the old saying, hurt people, hurt people? Hurt people need to get healed. Hurt people need to know that Jesus came and paid the price. Hurt people need to know, lost people need to know, they don't have to pay the price. They don't have to be justice for everyone. They don't have to figure it all out because Jesus Christ is the good news. He paid the price. That's the gospel. And that is the power of God unto salvation. That's the only thing that's gonna get people saved. You can take them on a fishing trip. That's awful nice of you. You can pay your tithes. You can come to church. You can support a radio program. You can send people to Africa. You can go on mission trips all day long. But that doesn't get people saved. What gets people saved? The gospel. It's the gospel. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Sure, I'll come help you get your donkey out of the ditch. That's fine. You got a broken wheel on your car. I'll help you do that. But the reality is, it's the gospel. It's the good news. You can be set free. doesn't make any difference where you're at, what you're going through, what your struggles are doesn't make any difference if you're afraid of COVID-19. doesn't make any difference if you're in the middle of divorce. doesn't make any difference if you lost your job. doesn't make any It's the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that's going to give you eternal life. Amen. 
Doesn't matter if you belong to, to Antifa, doesn't matter if you belong to, to Chaz, doesn't matter if you, doesn't matter, none of that matters. What matters is the gospel. It's the power of God and the salvation. It's the power of God. Well, I think my husband's a low-down scoundrel. He's a rat. He hasn't been any good from the beginning. He's no good now. But if your husband gets hold of the gospel, then he gets eternal life. We all read John 3.16. We all know John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. We just forget 17 and 18 which says God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world because they're already condemned. He sent his son to save the world. Whoever believes in him is not condemned but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. As I look at these days and I look at the things that are around us, some of these chapters, some of these verses, we listen to them and I think, you know what, God? More and more, this is about the gospel. 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 Yeah, there's good things. We should do 20 activities together. We should have a 20 for 20. We should have things that that we're doing together. Why? So that we can promote the gospel. You should come to it. You should invite your friend. You should invite your kids. You should invite people who aren't part of the church so that they can rub elbows with church people and they can finally make a decision. Am I going to accept the gospel or am I going to reject the gospel? Because right now, they're already lost. If they have not accepted, they're already condemned. Saved, saved from what? Pastor, you always talk about people getting saved. Saved from what? Saved from the condemnation in which you're living right now. If we're not in the last days, if we're not in those days of judgment, we're right there. We're right there. If we're not in them, we're there. We've walked away from God. As a nation, as a nation, the things that we celebrate, the things that we celebrate, Let's go back to Romans chapter one. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed as a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. It is not about the things that I do. You don't get to come to church and just because you come to church, you're gonna go to heaven. That's not, that's not it. You, that's not it. It is about faith in Jesus Christ, first to last, beginning to end, top to bottom. That's it. Drop the mic, close the door, shut the back door, shut the barn. I don't care what you're doing. That's it. Beginning to end. That's it. It is about Christ. That's it. It's not about the stuff that I do. And everyone, is. you look at these protests, they're looking for righteousness, and they want to be the right ones. What do we want? Justice. What do we want? You can't make justice. You can't make it. The only righteousness that we have comes by faith in Jesus Christ and the story. That's it. That's it. That's it. I've been preaching for 38 years and none of it makes any difference if I don't believe in Jesus. None of it does. I don't get righteousness because I stand up here. It doesn't happen. That's not where it comes from. 
Everyone wants, well, we want this righteous. We want to be seen as right. It, it comes in Christ, and that's it. Listen to Romans 1, verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. It's not going to get better. I, I realize that. Maybe you like Trump. Maybe you don't like Trump. Maybe you like politics. Maybe you can't stand politics. I'm, 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 I turn the channel as often. I just can't take much more. I, don't even want, I can't watch the news. And it, the weather's a 50-50 shot. And they see that coming for four days. The news is not even close. The governor and the mayor of Seattle who allowed this, they, 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 board up the windows, come with us. Just leave your house, don't worry, but just, just come with us. Just board up the windows of the police station, come with us. Board, we're just going to give it a shot. We're going to see if it happens. We're going to see what happens. And Trump says, look, if you're not willing to do something about it, I am. And their response was, go crawl back in your bunker. What? What's happened to respect? What's happened to, to, to or what's happened to, oh, okay, I could get off and go preaching. We, they suppress the truth by their own wickedness since what may be known about God is plain to them. This is where I'm, this is where I'm saying to myself, you, you know, this is stuff that I've read a hundred times, but all of a sudden, it just, it just comes alive in us. God reveals himself. Every time the sun comes up, God reveals himself. Every time a flower comes popping through the asphalt, God reveals himself. You ever seen trees grow out of the side of rocks? How does that happen? I mean, how does that happen? I, I, I've been in, I've been in the, the, uh, the uh, Crane Lake area, and you're going through the, the narrows, the namekins, and it's nothing but solid rock. On both sides, you have 100 feet, and there's trees growing on the side. Let's just say that a seed landed there and died, and there was enough nutrition for that seed to live for a little while. It still had to grow rocks, grow roots through the rocks to stay there and become a tree that's 100 foot tall on the side of a 100 foot cliff. How does that happen? It happens because we serve an awesome God. That's how it happens. He created it, the sunrise. You watch, they're watching Facebook, people who live on, nearby, close to waters, lakes. Look at the sunrise, look at the sunset, look at the sunrise, look at the sunset. Shut up, you live on a lake, it's beautiful, I get it. I don't get it, I don't live on a lake. It's a picture of God. You see his, his majesty. You ever look up in the heavens at night and look at the stars? You ever sit on a clear night and look at the moon and actually see the three dimension of the moon? You ever see the sphere? I mean, you see the crescent. As you look at it just a little bit, you see, you know what? That's not just a little flat crescent by the shadows. You see, that ball is hanging out in space all by itself. It's held there by the word of God. God declares his glory around us every day and we want to suppress that with our own anger and our own bitterness and our own judgment. We want all that stuff suppressed because I don't want you to believe in God. I want you to believe in me and my cause and what I think is right and where I'm going, follow me. That's the nation we live in. That's the world we live in. 
For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Well, pastor, what about the person who never heard of Jesus? Yes, he has. If he's got eyes, if he's got ears, if he can feel, if he can pick something up, you can't get a robot to walk over and pick this up and just change the batteries all willy-nilly. You realize how amazing we're created? That's a picture of God. Not only can I pick this up, I can pick up a little piece of paper. I can place it in Bobby Joe's hand without injuring her. I can take it back. I can leave it so gentle. That's a picture of God. God creates those things around us. His invisible qualities are made known to us. And what do we want to do? We want to suppress them with anger and fury. And believe me, just trust in me. I've got it right. We don't want to have any police in this city of Chaz. Instead, we've got some rapper out there who says, me and my squad, we're going to be the boss. Really? Although they claim to be wise, they become fools. They have exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, because of that, because we choose to exchange God with mere images, Therefore, because of that, God gave them over to the desires of their sinful hearts, to sexual impurity, for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and they worshiped and they served created things rather than the creator who is forever to be praised. Amen. This is what the word says. It's what the word says. He goes on and he said, because of this, God gave them over, gave them over, let them just, here, you want it? Do it, take it, go. it's, it's your, your gig. You want to be God to your life? All right, let's see how that goes. Let me ask you a question. You ever gone through a period in your life where you thought, I think I can handle this. I should be God. No, I didn't want to be God over your life, Leroy. I just wanted to be a guy. <laughs> yeah, he wasn't worshiping up here. He was surrendering. He's like, I've done it both hands. I don't want to be God over your life. I just want to be God over mine. God says, fine, go ahead and do it. God gave them over the shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed sinful acts with other men and received in, in themselves due penalty for their error. Furthermore, they did not think, furthermore, furthermore, beyond that, they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind 
so that they do what ought not be done. In other words, you want to walk down this road without the authority of God, without the goodness of God, without the life of God, without the rules of God, without, without his direction. Fine, God says, go ahead and do it. But not only are you going to do crazy things, I'm going to let you, the, the, the Bible calls it, and King James calls it a reprobate mind. And that word reprobate means a mind without judgment. We have a mind without judgment. And when we do that, then I just get to take your phone if I want it. I can take your water bottle if I want it. It's a mind, it's my, I can take it, it's mine. What kind of stuff are you watching in church, anyhow? <laughs> it's a mind without judgment, and we go off and we do far crazier things than just take someone's phone. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness and evil and greed and depravity. They are full of envy and murder and strife and deceit and malice. They are gossips and slanderers. And God, you know what? I've preached this for years, and every time I preach it, I'm kind of looking for the little church lady who gossips a lot and saying, see, you're as bad as everybody else. But in reality, God's saying, all this crap is coming down the line. Get ready for it. If we turn people over to their own, their own intentions, their own thoughts, their own depravities, all this wickedness is coming. Hatred's coming. Bitterness is coming. Slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. Can you imagine you're sitting around one afternoon just sitting there having a beer with some of your buddies and you go, you know what? We ought to take over the police department. That sounds like a good idea. We should do that. What about on Tuesday? Yeah, we'll call it Chaz. I mean, where does this thought come from? See, here's the deal, folks. Let me just keep on reading. They have no understanding. They have no fidelity, no love, no mercy, although they know God's righteous decrees because it's all around them that those who do do such things deserve death. They not only continue to do these very things, but they approve of those who practice it. Let's You know, you want to have a peaceful rally? That's one thing. The minute you throw a brick at somebody's window, you've now become a criminal. That's not a rally. That's a riot, and a riot is illegal. You're destroying somebody else's property. Stop. I know I'm not telling you all to stop it, but stop it. People need to know the goodness of God. The the, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And for you and I, we've got to get to the point where we recognize that this is not just something that just happenstance that's going on around us. This is a spiritual battle. The Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities and spiritual wickedness in high places. Do we look at this stuff and we bang our head and go, well, that's Seattle, that's Chicago, well, that's Minneapolis, that's Fargo, that could be Detroit Lakes. It could be your door. It could be in Frazee. It could be at your house. We're just going to bang our head and walk away and go, well, you know, that that, that is what it is. 
What are we going to say? We wrestle not against flesh and blood. God, shut this down. Shut it down. Shut it down. We know the last days are coming. You can't stop the last days. But we can live God-fearing lives in the middle of them. And we can prosper in the middle of them. And our community can prosper in the middle of them. Why do we want to go out and read the Bible over Detroit Lakes? I'll tell you why. It's because God's word needs to be declared in this community. Because we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against powers and principalities and spiritual wickedness in high places. That's why we want God's word going forth over this city. That's why. That's why we need to pray. That's why we come to church. That's why we gather together. That's why we go out when there's a rally in our town. We go out and we stand and we say, you know what? We're going to be here to make sure this doesn't get crazy. Because it doesn't have to. Because I'm not wrestling against you. I'm wrestling against powers and principalities and spiritual wickedness in high places. So I'm not walking around just talking to nobody. It looks like it. Because sometimes when you're praying, you're saying, oh, Jesus, God, I need some help here. I really need some help. I need your direction. Who do you want me to go? Hey, how's it going? And we start having a conversation. And that conversation has nothing to do with me seeing anything in Anthony. What it has to do is the spirit of the living God coming in and saying, there's something you need to wrestle against right there. There's someone you need to take authority over that situation. There's some... So we don't wrestle against powers and principalities. We don't wrestle against Antifa. We don't wrestle against Chaz. We don't wrestle against that stuff. But there is a devil who's come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And he wants to mess with you. He wants to mess with me. And he wants us walking in fear. He wants us walking in anxiety. He wants us to be terrified. He would love to put that in your life so that you become paralyzed. Physically, emotionally, spiritually you're a believer are you praying for this community well you know you're a believer are you praying for this community we're believers are we praying for this community it's real it's real has any of this affected my life a whole lot not much I put on just as many miles in my truck I've put just as much gas in it. I've been just as busy. I've probably done more counseling. I know I've done more counseling. But it's real. It needs to change the way that we see the world around us. It needs to change the way that we respond. We're not seeing a ton of it here. But I don't care what it is. Everything happens on the coast first, and it moves its way in. And if you think we're going to get by with, oh, you know what, in six months from now, everything will be fine. We don't know that. We don't know that. But I can tell you this. If good, God-fearing people don't do anything, it's not going to be fine. We don't believe in God's word. We don't declare God's word. We don't begin to pray God's word. We don't begin to pray over our community. We don't begin to declare the power of God unto salvation. That's all it is. That's all it is. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God unto salvation. I don't need you to throw them down your, I don't have to wrestle to get a rock or a brick away from you. I, you need to get saved. That's what's going to change your heart. That's what's going to change your life. That's what's going to change your drive. Paul said, it's changed me so much that I'm obligated to share it with Jews and Greeks and smart people and not so smart people. Do black lives matter? Yes, black lives matter. So does every other life on the planet. If this is all just about saving lives, let's talk about abortion. 
okay? Because there's a bunch of lives that are taken every day. <laughs> I told you, I don't usually talk politics. and We just can't avoid this stuff. We're the church. The church has avoided this stuff long enough. The church needs to get to the point where we're standing for the gospel. It's not going to get you points in heaven. The only thing to get you points in heaven, the only thing is faith in Jesus Christ. That's it. But once that faith is alive in you, when you're hanging on to that, when you're clinging on to that, God's got a task for you. That's, that's Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. It's got to be here. For it is by grace, starting at verse 8, it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he has prepared in advance. Oh, Anthony, you finally came to Jesus. Now God's going to have a plan for you. Is that what that says? That ain't what it says. He's had a plan for you since the very foundation of time. He's prepared in advance. I kind of like having six feet between rows. <laughs> God has prepared good works for you in advance to do. So let's get the gospel thing down. Let's get the gospel. Here's the challenge. Here's the challenge. Figure out. Figure out in your own life, in your own way, in your own words. Figure out, how would I present the gospel to somebody? How would I share? When that opportunity comes, and I want to tell you, you get that ready, there's going to be a knock on your door. Oh, it might not be a physical knock, but there's going to be somebody at a gas station whose life is melting down, and they simply need someone. There's going to be somebody at a rally, somebody at a protest who simply can't. I just, I love Barry's testimony from the rally. I shared it, I think, last week. He ran into a couple, two or three gals at the rally. He's like, you look really familiar to me. How do I know you? Well, it's because you threw us out of class when he was a, when he was a teacher, a, a substitute teacher. Well, have you forgiven me for that? Well, yeah, that's okay. All right, so we're okay? Yeah, that's okay. That diffuses everything, and now there's the opportunity to share the gospel. It just takes the wind out of everything. If he had gone in there instead and go, oh, those those ratty little girls from eighth grade that I kicked out of class once, let me tell you, you're kind of a pain. You need to get your life. You need to, you need to, you need to. And they're going to say, you need to shut up. And they're going to hold up their protest sign. Because we're not walking in love. We're not, not walking in peace. We're not walking in the gospel. But it's the gospel that's the power of God unto salvation. Amen? I've got to close or I'm going to start preaching. Barry. <laughs> We're on 20 for 20. You can have one activity tomorrow morning helping a man get his property cleaned up. Father, I just thank you. <laughs> we can read hallelujah. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your life. We thank you for your peace. We thank you for the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel, which is the good news that says Jesus paid the price for my sin. I was condemned, but now I'm not. 
I was headed for that pit of hell, and now I'm not. The good news is you paid that price for me, God. Lord, I pray you help us to walk with integrity. Help us to walk as men and women who know the truth of the gospel. Help us to walk as men and women and children who are willing to share the gospel. Youth, teenagers, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Figuring out how can I tell my friends. I don't have to pound it down their throat. I just got to wait till the opportunity arises. How am I going to know? Am I going to talk to them about a sunrise? Am I going to talk to them about a sunset? Am I going to talk to them about a beautiful deer? Am I going to talk to them about some kind of something in creation that God has made and we know it's God because nobody else could do that? And then through all the destruction around us, Jesus came and paid the price, God, that you'd give us the wisdom to know how to share the gospel. Our nation may still go through a point of judgment, God. That does not mean that we cannot prosper. It doesn't mean we can't live righteous lives in the midst of it. Thank you, Father, for your goodness, for your life. Thank you for the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Figure out how you're going to share the gospel this week. Have a great week. Thanks for coming.